Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So your real work, when I say those words to you, your real work, what comes to your mind? For some, it might be the work that they do in the world, the work that they get paid for or the volunteer work that they do. And certainly that is some of the work that we do. But my focus today is on something different. Not the work we do in the world, but the work we do on ourselves and in ourselves. The longer I am on a spiritual journey, the more aware I am that others are not my project, I am my project, that, that my work is to become and be the very best version of myself that I can be to take all that has happened to me, the choices that I've made, the family I was born into, the country I was born in, the circumstances I was born into, and to take all of that and to continue to grow and evolve into the brightest version of myself that I can be. And in unity, I find the tools and principles and practices to do that. And as I look at others, I've come to truly appreciate that that is also true for them as well. That we're all here to grow and to evolve. And sometimes that growth and evolution is easy and sometimes not so, so much so. Our teacher and way shower, Jesus the Christ, really, when we look at what we believe were the things that he said, he was really a teacher of consciousness, and though some of the examples that he used, which were appropriate in his day and age, uh, maybe are not so, we would use different examples today, the underlying message, the, the principles, the ideas that he conveyed in his words, in his ministry, in his action, are every bit as applicable to us today, and they really do speak to becoming the best version of ourselves. Let me read a, an exchange as recorded in the Gospel of John. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. At her. What was he saying there? He was saying, before you go look at this other person, and before you go point fingers at this other person, look back at yourself. I remember my minister many years ago, Reverend Robert Stevens, once saying from the platform, when you point your finger at somebody, notice that you have three other fingers pointing back at you. Jesus was, in essence, saying, she is not your work. 
you are your work. Let you who are without sin be the first to cast a stone. It wasn't about casting the stone. It was about, wait a minute, take a look at yourself. Where might you be falling short? Where might you be in error? Clean that up first, and then maybe you can go do something else. So in essence, our real work is self-work. Elsewhere, Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Now think about that for a moment. The speck of sawdust. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's such a vivid picture, isn't it? A speck of sawdust in our a speck of sawdust compared to a plank, right? He's saying, why are you so focused on your brother and you're not taking a look at yourself? But notice he doesn't say that you can't eventually help your brother. He doesn't say you can't, I guess we could use words like provide constructive feedback if asked or invited to do so. He doesn't say you can't help your brother, but he's very clear on the sequence. The sequence being your real work, my real work, is on myself first. It's so much easier though, isn't it, to be quick to judge another or to see another's faults and shortcomings and want to point them out and not do that more humble work of looking within ourselves. Working first on ourselves is important, but it requires that we begin to recognize that we've got some filters. We've got probably some unfinished stuff that we need to take a look at and we need to deal with. We see others through the lens of our perception. We see others through our filters. I was reflecting upon this just yesterday as I was going back over my notes and I was thinking about this idea of seeing others through our filters. And over the last year, pretty much ever since the murder of George Floyd, there has been such an increase in the diversity that we are seeing of all different races and ethnicities on our television screens, in our media, we are seeing the beautiful tapestry of color and the diversity of humanity and certainly the diversity of our country in a much more vivid way and a much more consistent way in all of our media, whether it is in our commercials, reflecting different skin tones, reflecting different sexual orientations, reflecting different um, visuals of what family is uh, far more so than ever before. And I've been very keenly aware of that and very appreciative of it. And I imagine you might be aware of it too. But the interesting thing to me is if we're white, and many of us in this community are, if we're white, I bet that We've noticed the diversity on the screen now, and I imagine our brothers and sisters of color as well, but as a white person, I wonder how aware we were of it being missing prior to this period in time. 
I don't think years ago I watched the television and noticed, wow, it looks so white, or it looks so much like the dominant culture, or it looks so much like, like me, although younger, as I've gotten older. But, um, but I don't think I ever really stopped because of my own filter, because everything I was looking at looked more like me, I don't think I ever stopped to say, wait a minute, what's missing here? So I found that just to be a fascinating observation of, of myself and how filters can work, right? There's a true little story of a supermarket, a brand new supermarket that was opening in town a number of a number of years ago when scanning was relatively new. And there were a lot of challenges with the way the scan devices would work, right? You know, you take your item across the, the the camera and it would ring up the, the price. And so there was a woman in line in this brand new store where these brand new scanners were, were being used. And the cashier was having problems off and on throughout the day of the scanner, sometimes working and, and sometimes not. And her next customer in line put all her groceries on the, 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 the belt. And um, for the most part, it was lots of leafy green vegetables and fruits, all super, super healthy stuff. And every time the cashier would run the item through the scanner, it scanned just fine. But the last items on her cart or on the, the conveyor belt were bags of potato chips. And as soon as she ran those bags of potato chips across the scanner, all sorts of beeping went on. The system wasn't recognizing it. And the customer leans over to the cashier, the cash, um, cashier and says, is this one of those Weight Watcher stores? I'm on a diet. Is it catching me? Filter, right? Projection, right? She was seeing it through the lens of her own stuff, her own experience. And if we can just be willing to notice some of these things about ourselves, if we can be willing to, to recognize that what I notice in someone else or what I fail to notice in someone else, can speak just as much, maybe even more, about me than it does about them. And so whenever we catch ourselves making a judgment or interpreting what we're seeing in a particular way, if we could just step back for a moment and ask, what else might be going on here? What, what do I have any filters that I'm seeing this through? Is my own life experience distorting this in a way that I am making a judgment about it that I really shouldn't be making? And so, you know, where does Jesus, as a teacher of consciousness, suggest we begin? He says, don't be so aware of the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. Take care of the plank that is in your own eye. Well, elsewhere, he actually lays out several areas that we can do this deeper, real work around. And those areas are that we should work with regard to our actions, we should work on ourselves with regard to our words, and we should work on ourselves with regard to our motivations, our actions, our words, and our motivations. You probably grew up with the expression, I know I did, actions speak what? Actions speak louder than words. What we do, how we act, 
says an awful lot about what we value, what we believe in. Jesus told us what to do in actions and what not to do. Simply, he said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He wasn't talking about going to church or synagogue. He was talking about a right relationship with the one, with spirit, with the divine. Get that right, and you won't have to worry about your life. It, it will unfold as it is meant to. So he very clearly says some of what not to do, and he tells us what to do. He says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, in other translations it says causes you to stumble, then cut it off. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? It is extreme. But he wasn't talking in a, I don't believe, he was talking in a literal sense. He was saying, if you know that there is some action that you do that causes you problems, you overeat, you smoke, you're doing drugs, you're drinking, whatever, maybe other actions, then deal with that. Deal with that. Work on yourself. You deal with that, and the rest of your life is going to function so much better. Stephen Covey said, you can't talk your way out of problems you behave your way into. You can't talk your way out of problems you behave your way into. We have to behave our way out of those problems. We have to change our actions. It is our work to do. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, let you who are without sin be the first to cast the stone, he was basically saying, you go home and you go do your work. And then come back, and we'll have a conversation. But you go take care of you first. So we work at the level of our actions. What is it in your behavior that you know trips you up? I don't need to know what that is. I can support you if you ask me to. But you need to know what that is. And it is your work to do. And sometimes that work requires working with a trusted friend, or with a therapist, or with a pas pastor. But whatever it may be, be willing to do that work because that is how we transform our lives. Jesus talks about working at the level of your words. He said when he, was, um, when he and his disciples were being criticized because they didn't follow all of the old laws and customs, and often he didn't follow the old laws and customs. He was trying to breathe new, deeper spiritual understanding into living life, not just following the letter of the law for the sake of following the letter of the law and then being empty inside, he was saying, there's a way to live and be in the world that works much better. And so it isn't necessarily about the, the ritual, it's about what's going on inside. He said, it's not, it's not a problem to eat without, it. let me rephrase it, when Jesus' disciples were criticized because they did not follow the old ways and they ate without washing their hands, he said, but it's what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth makes him unclean. And then he went on to say, because out of the mouth comes what's in the heart. Out of the mouth, the words that we speak, out of the mouth, comes what's in the heart, what's in the consciousness. So we look at the words that we say. We know, we know that our words can lift people up or our words can crush people. I think much to our own detriment, 
we have gotten as a society rather lax with our words. We, I think we used to speak more civilly to one another. There were things that we might have felt in anger, but we wouldn't say them. We would find a way to work through them. I think we need to go back to some of that. I think we need to, if we have to do, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, when angry count to 10, when very angry count to 100, our words matter. Our words can build a person up or crush a person down. Our words can build a whole segment of society up or demoralize them. Our words have power to create. And we can lift somebody's spirits with a kind word, with a soft word, with a positive word. But before we speak an angry word or before we speak in a harsh way, can we just take a moment to ask, is it really necessary? What is that wisdom that comes out of one of the Eastern traditions to ask yourself, is it kind, is it true? Is it necessary before speaking? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Share a story with you that my mom shared with me just yesterday. My mom is nearing her 87th birthday. Love her dearly. And like any 87-year-old body, after a while, it doesn't look like it did when you're 30 years old, right? And she said, you know, Wendy, I was just at the doctor, and I had some checkup, and they've got some things going on with my heart, but I'm okay, and, you know, not, not to worry, but even though some of the news is like, oh, I don't really want to deal with one more thing, she says, but when, that's my nickname with, from her, she says, when I'm in the parking lot pushing a, a cart, I was out at the, the um, gardening store the other day, and I'm pushing the cart, and I'm going a little bit slowly, and as I'm pushing this cart, a little boy runs up to me, looks me right in the eye, and says, are you dead? Are you going to die? And my mother said, I just looked at him with the news I had just gotten from the doctor that I was still struggling with. Hear these words from this little kid. She said, I don't have no idea where his parents were or what, what was behind it. And then he ran off as I'm trying to say, gee, I hope not. And you know, as she was sharing this with me, she was troubled by it, and I, I felt for her. And of course, I'm sure this little boy didn't mean anything by it. Maybe he'd recently had a great-grandma die and was at the funeral service or something. I mean, we don't know what prompted him to say what he said, but in listening to my mom, it was just a reminder, you know, our words matter. They really, really do. And you know, part of being, whether it's a great country or a great culture, I think has to be grounded in kindness. And it starts with us. Jesus pointed back and said, in my paraphrasing, work on yourself. Work on yourself. Work on yourself. Get right with yourself. Get right with spirit. And everything else is going to flow so much better. And then the last area that I think he really pointed to was also working on our motives. Understanding the real reason we do whatever we do. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in 
people. And he goes on to describe that a little bit more. And basically what he's saying is when you do something loving and kind and good, do it because you know it's the right thing to do. Not because you make a credit for it. Not because anybody else is going to think better of you. Understand what motivates you. What, why do you do what you do? And let it be for that very highest and the very best reasons. Be good because it makes sense to be good. Do loving and kind things, not to, to be acknowledged for it, but for the fact that when you put your head on your pillow at night, you feel, I did a good job. I made somebody's day a little bit better. So I hope that in sharing some of these ideas with you this morning, in exploring the deeper part of what our real work is, it's working on ourselves, not working on the other. We can be there to support the other, and certainly if the other asks for help, to help in whatever way would truly be helpful to them. But heaven knows, in the meantime, we all have plenty of work to do on ourselves to shine ourselves up to be the very best version of ourselves that we can be. And hopefully something that I've said this morning might just trigger an idea for you that makes this message practical and helpful to you. Namaste. Mm -hmm.